Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Thanks so much for joining us. But the star of the show, as always, is the hopefully well-rested or at least somewhat rested after 67 games in however many days and however many columns and everything that went into it. <laughs> Greg Doyle, uh, who I, I assume, did it hit you at some point, like maybe Tuesday morning or Monday night where you're just like, oh, my God. It must have felt like a truck hit you with all the work that you had to put in. You and your colleagues, Macklin, as you know, everybody over at the Star with everything that encapsulated that NCAA tournament. Well, get this: so Macklin is our college's editor, and he he oversaw everything, and that was not easy because he had he had staff writers from all kinds of papers in Indiana in town and coordinating because we covered every single game. And you know, the Elite Eight it got easier, but the first round, couple of rounds, was a madness. Well, Matt's wife labor early. And so he was doing this as his wife is entering during labor. And then he had to pass it off to our other bosses, uh, Jenny Green and, and Nat Newell, um, who weren't supposed to be doing that because Glenesque was, but his wife, you know, went to labor. That's how it goes. So anyway, tough for everybody. But you're asking me, A, am I well rested? B, when did it hit me? The answer to both is, are you nuts? Are you an idiot? Um, no, I'm not rested. It's only Wednesday. No, I need a lot more time to recover. And B, uh, it hit me, you know, the first night of the Sweet 16, maybe the second, when I realized there's four games, there's four days in a row, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, four days, boom, 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 boom. And I, and, and a couple of these games, these, like the Elite, the Final Four, yeah, the Final Four, there's several days where there's two games in one day, and I'm trying to do all of it. Um, so, listen, my job is great. You know, I'm not, I'm not cracking open rocks with a pickaxe, but uh, mentally I get pretty intense about my work and I get really, really tired. So, yeah, I'm still a little bit tired. I'll be off next week, not this week. I'm big on if I'm off, I want the whole damn week. Don't tell me, oh, you're working Monday, then you're off. No, if I'm working Monday, I'm working that week. I, I want off. And I want the previous weekend, too. I want Saturday, yeah. Sunday, five days, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, so give me the like nine. Season, yeah, yeah, I want nine days like most people do. I want my, what most people get. So anyway, I'll be off next week. You deserve it. And it is – what I always tell people is that um, it's great. It's a great job. It's a lot of fun to do what we've been able to do. But at the same time, just like anything else, there are days that you don't want to go in. There, there are columns probably where you're sitting at your computer sometimes. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, Greg, but I'm assuming that this happens where you have a story idea and you're trying to hammer it out and you're like, well, hell – this sucks. I, I got to trash this. I got to do something else. This, this isn't working the way that I wanted it to. And it's just like anybody else. If you get into your cubicle or on a Wednesday morning, sometimes you don't feel like being there. And it's the same thing for us. Um, so I'm not saying that that wasn't the case in the NCAA tournament. We had great games and it's a great event, but it's, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to undertake. So let, let's kind of segue into that because, I, you know, obviously I want to talk some of the basketball stuff, but um, there's been a lot of talk of, okay, so Indy did it. And I think we all knew that we'd be able to pull it off in this city, but 
could this happen again? Like, would the NCAA consider having a one city, or I guess in, in Indiana's case, one state venue for a Final Four? Or should they? Well, I think the only way this happens again is if we have a pandemic-type situation because the NCAA realizes how much money gets made for each city. And I'm sure the overall take is bigger in eight locations with all eight you know, selling tickets and all that than trying to shoehorn everybody into, into one area. So sure. I'm sure financially it's better for everybody, including the NCAA, uh, to, to not do it like this. However, um, and we're just not sure yet. I, I'm not. I'm not Mr. Corona Bro here saying, "Oh, the sky is falling." But we just, you know, we don't know what's going on with pandemics, and we don't know if we're more susceptible now. If if something has been unleashed in our in our universe that we're going to deal with in the future, we don't even know how next spring is going to look with all this stuff and variants. So I, I suspect we'll see it again. Yeah, in one city, I do, and there's no doubt it'll be here, unless unless. Indianapolis, and this won't happen, but unless Indianapolis around says, listen, our, you know, our, our COVID tests, so we're taping this on Wednesday, right? Yeah, today's Wednesday. Okay, I'm, like, I'm brain's mush. <laughs> um, we're taping this on, on Wednesday. Apparently, Tuesday was the single biggest positive test of COVID day in almost two months. And and that and on the surface, that makes no sense at all. We're all getting vaccinated. The vaccine numbers are going through the roof, and we shouldn't be having our biggest, but I, I think it's pretty apparent, probably, probably, that the tournament and everybody getting together and, you know, the, anyway, so we'll just have to see if, and we've had some people die. We've had a, a, a bartender at St. Elmo's die, and a kid from Alabama came up here. We don't know where he got sick, but but he died. He went home and he died. I don't think, I don't think our city's going to say, if there's a pandemic, eh, don't bring that here because it's causing too many problems. That won't happen, but there will be people saying don't let it happen again i'm not one of them but there will be people saying that yeah and i think under normal circumstances um i don't know how many i'm assuming you've been to other final fours because of all your years as a national writer with cbs uh i've been lucky enough to go to several san antonio new orleans atlanta atlanta would be a distant third on that list but san antonio new orleans were awesome like i had a great time and and i loved the final four there and i thought that those two places did a great job especially san antonio and so, you know, to me, selfishly, yeah, it'd be cool to have the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis, but I kind of like the fact you have the West Regional in, you know, L.A., the East Regional in D.C., or, you know, whatever, or, uh, the South Regional in Louisville or something like that, and, and then everybody meets in one city. I kind of like the expansiveness of the tournament where it's spread out all over the country as opposed to just having it at, like, Hinkle and Mackey and places like that. Well, I prefer that myself, and not and not because man, when it's here, that's a whole lot of work. It's you know, you, you talked earlier how we all have days. We have a great job. But we everybody has days where you don't feel crazy about work. And the analogy I'd make is like I love dark chocolate, but you can give me too much and I can get sick, right? I mean, there's there's a limit where this is great, too much of this not so great. So yeah, I think we all would rather see the tournament all over the place. However, however, New Orleans, I mean San Antonio, you can stay in hotels and you can walk to the Alamo Dome and all that. Yeah, New Orleans, you can't do that, A, and B, it smells like vomit. I mean, that place stinks. The only way to enjoy New Orleans is if you're drunk. That's the only way. And uh, that's no way to go through life. I went to – it was the only – my first time and only time in New Orleans. It was 2012, and Louisville and Kentucky were there. So basically it was me and the entire state of Kentucky on Bourbon Street, which, was a, lot of, which was a lot of fun. It, was, <laughs> it did stink. 
but it was a lot of fun. Once you, once you got used to the smell, it was, you know, it, Greg, the humidity, it's just, it, it's like every time you step outside of your hotel room, it's like if you put a mop in a microwave and then smacked yourself in the face with it. Yeah. That's, I, I don't know how people live down there. Like, and I hear Houston's like that too. I don't know how people live down there full time. Yeah. I, I lived in uh, South Florida for several years and um, it, it's the same thing. It's, it's brutal. And it's brutal even on Christmas morning. Uh, the day I decided I got to get out of here was Christmas day, 1996. Uh, I got my newspaper uh, in my boxers, walked out on Christmas day, got a newspaper in my boxers, which is not great for the neighbors, but like, I got to get out of here. Christmas day, I don't boxers. Are you Anthony Soprano? You know, the whole uh, Tony Soprano thing in the bathrobe and the boxers going down the drive. I don't know if you were a Sopranos fan, but that's what he always Minus did. the bathrobe. I did like the Sopranos. Uh, I need to go back and rewatch it. But anyway, minus the bathrobe. There's no bathrobe. I, I'm not even taking a freebie. They're, well, they're not free. You get charged at the Marriott. So I don't have any bathrobes. I've never seen the point of a bathrobe. I don't see the point. I, I, I don't bathrobes to me are kind of like red wine all of you people that claim to wear bathrobes and claim to like you're all lying like it's not it's stupid <laughs> uh the tournament in general any like you know obviously the prevailing storyline would have been gonzaga being undefeated and of course that didn't happen we had sort of a dud of a title game we have a very odd winner where baylor really has no history at all i mean from 1950 something to 19 19- you know, 2008 or whatever, they went to one tournament in 58 years. I mean, Baylor bas- basketball was basically Northwestern for most of their history outside of a couple of Final Fours very early on. Um, you know, wh- what kind of did you take away from the tournament? Was there one thing? Was there a combination of things? Huh, well, Kentucky it happened in Indianapolis also. The last time the Final Four was here, yeah. Kentucky was perfect. And I, I guess Wisconsin knocked them off. Um I was at that game, I should remember. I think it was Wisconsin. Anyway, um, it's always disappointing because you want to see history. You know, I just – not so much rooting for this team or against that team, just, you know, 76 Indiana. And I realize that IU fans want to remain the last one. I'm not really sure why it matters. But anyway, they, they do. But I wanted to see history because I wanted – you know, I was there the day Tim Tebow for Denver won a playoff game and threw for 316 yards, the Tebow 316 game. It is weird things, you know, just weird history. You want to be there when it happens. And if you're there, you want it to happen in front of you. So that's my takeaway is that second time I've seen a Final Four team come in perfect and lose right in my backyard, and that sucks. Were you there for Suggs' shot, or were you not at that late game? Oh, not only was I there for Suggs' shot, but the press is sitting on the baseline, and he was going towards the basket away from us. Gotcha. And just where he was on the court and where I was sitting, you could literally draw a straight line from my seat to Jalen Suggs to the basket he was shooting on. So when he threw the shot up, obviously, if it was they had the right length, it was obviously on target. I mean, I was right behind it. Yeah. And uh, and I remember the the uh, a rider sitting in front of me um, won't identify the rider, but like good got up and started kind of clapping or gyrating or and i forget why i'm I'm trying to picture my head i'm not picturing it but it was just pure enthusiasm it wasn't it wasn't yay gonzaga won this is a national writer it was just i just saw something unbelievable how lucky am i and that's kind of how i was feeling too that's what i was talking about the, the history and all that you you want something special to happen always 
when you're watching on TV, but when you're right there, that I mean, you don't get many of those moments, and uh, we all got that moment. Yeah, I try to be, and and you're supposed to be as media, you're supposed to be as impartial as possible. But sometimes there are things happen, and you just have this like instinct and guttural reaction to it because it's. I, I was there for Hayward's shot in 2010, and we're up in the press box, and every single person in the press box, when that clanged off the rim, goes, "Oh, you know what I mean?" Because you <laughs> you were all watching the ball suspend up there in the air and waiting to see if it went down and to see how close it came. So I'm not surprised that people had that sort of reaction. Uh, does it lose luster because they lost the title game? Um, I, I mean, a little bit. Just, yeah, I mean, a lot, frankly. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, because had Gonzaga won, Gonzaga, for decades, I mean, every time you talk about Gonzaga, the year they won, the year Mark Few finally broke through and they won a title and this little mid-major finally rose and finished off the job. And did you see what happened in the final four to get there? You know, that, that will always be, that would, that would be an accompaniment to that shot led to something else. And all that shot led to was a 20 point beatdown. So yeah, it does take the luster off. It was still a special moment. And that in that exact, in, in real time, it was one of the more memorable things I've ever been through. And I don't feel cheated that they lost the turn overall because of that. But yeah, there's no question about it. There's uh, it, it, that game, that shot got you somewhere and you didn't pay it off. It's like a, a trifecta bet. They they didn't win the last one. Yeah, it it I'm trying to think of what would even be a comparison because all those other shots that we put it with, like Lorenzo Charles, Chris Jenkins, uh, or the Leitner shot in '92, which technically was the Elite Eight, they Duke won the title. So all those teams ended up winning champ. Do you remember? Um, and I'm not sure if you were still covering baseball at this time, but the 2001 World Series when the Yankees played the Diamondbacks and in back-to-back games, in game four and game five, the Yankees hit game-tying homers with two outs in the ninth inning off Young Hung Kim and then ended up winning in extras. Um, and then they lost the World Series. You know, and the Diamondbacks won in dramatic fashion. Luis Gonzalez, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, so maybe I, I probably remember this more than, and I was 18 years old, more than most people, even though it was a memorable World Series. That's kind of what it reminded me of, is that you have these great moments that Tino Martinez and Scott Barocious, yet, you know, the other team won. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah, th- that, that was awesome and cool and really spectacular, but at the same time, you didn't end up paying it off, as you said. Yeah, um, the most famous example of that, and I didn't know this was the case for years, because, I, you know, I grew up in the 70s. Um, when I was five, I wasn't really paying attention, so I didn't. Carlton Fisk hitting the home run in 75 in game six yeah. to win game six. Great one, yeah. You know, hit the foul pole and like that's an image we all know i don't care how old you are if you see that clip you know exactly what you're watching that one game six the reds won game seven like i didn't <laughs> i don't think i knew that until like 1985 like wait a minute that didn't that didn't end the world series that was just a game and yeah. you didn't even win game seven that is uh maybe similar to suggs honestly i mean suggs shot was kind of shocking and it was you know, I've seen the replay, and where I was sitting on the court, I called it a 40-footer, and I think it might have been more like 35. And and at that, le- every foot matters. Like it, I thought it was half court when it went in, um, and it wasn't, but it was damn close. But anyway, those those are probably the two biggest. What a great moment, and it didn't matter anyway in the long run. And I'm putting Fisk first. Yeah, it'd be like you know, if, if, speaking of '86, if the Mets. Uh... You know, you have the Mookie Wilson ground ball through Buckner's legs, then uh, the Sox came along in one game seven. It'd be like, you know, that wouldn't be as infamous as a moment, right? Right. Um, 
but yeah, the Fisk one, that, the Goodwill Hunting, Robin Williams' character brought that up, and that that was like that was the most famous moment in Sox history before they finally started cranking out championships seemingly every year. Um, moving on with college basketball, a big week for Mike Woodson. You wrote all about it. Not only uh, Trace Jackson Davis kind of recommitting to stay, even though you know I, I'm not so sure Trace Jackson Davis was going to stay regardless because I. In talking to a couple of people who know far better than I do about, you know, scouting and NBA and all of that, they, they don't think that Jackson Davis was really going to be highly thought of had he turned pro this summer. Um, but that said, big to keep um, some of the other players and and keep them aboard, like Christian Lander and then Dane Fife coming aboard as the lead assistant. We had talked about that last week, Greg. I think everybody knew it was going to be another guy with Indiana ties and um, and you and I both like Dane Fife a, a great deal. And it's I think it'll be great to see him back in Bloomington after you know, whatever, 15, 16 years since he was an assistant after leaving. Yeah, about Trace, Jackson Davis. Um, I mean, yeah, the headline is he's not entering the draft. The story is he's not, he's coming back, period. He could have entered the portal. You know, he could have. Right. Um, what he didn't say is I'm not entering the draft, but I am entering the portal. I mean, everybody else did. He did not. So that is an enormous, the fact that he never, because he had to be thinking about it. I mean, he had to be. when he. I mean, he talked to Woodson for a couple hours. I guarantee you he didn't go to that, that interview with Woodson, him and his dad, thinking it's it's NBA or IU. I'm sure he went to that thing thinking it's NBA, IU, or if I don't really like this guy, Portal. So that was a huge win for for, for Woodson. Uh, Dane Fife is um, – I mean, it's, it's a double win. Um, I wrote this. It's, it's online now. It's a double win for IU because not only do they get Dane Fife, but they keep him away from Michigan State. You know, Michigan State, you know, a lot of times – assistant coaches get too much credit for, and if you look at the media guide, you, you, you see it. So-and-so, he he signed, he recruited this person. And like you read that, you're like, wait a minute, you know, Steve Wojciechowski didn't land Carlos Boozer for Duke. Mike Krzyzewski did. You know, I don't, don't tell me. Chris Collins, he didn't bring in Jay Williams. Mike Krzyzewski did. So, but Dane Fife in Indianapolis plays a, a huge role in keeping Jaron Jackson and Aaron Henry away from IU. Because, I mean, you've got an IU guy saying, hey, guys, I, I was there. Michigan State's better for you. That's powerful. Um, Michigan State doesn't have that anymore, and IU got them. It's like a double win. It's like when you win a game in your division. Not only did you win, but your division got the Titans lost. So th- those are both huge. And 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 Christian Lander, I mean, he was a, he was five star for a reason. I mean, he was. I mean, there nobody who saw him play, nobody smart who saw him play. He rated. What everybody has said is that he wasn't ready. And there's a difference. And I'm not sure under Archie if he was ever going to get ready. Um, I just don't know. I don't – They cl- clearly it didn't click. Archie was very hard on him. Uh, I just – you know, Woodson now has a five-star point guard he can try and develop. And I, I'm really curious to see what Christian Lander turns out to be. What do you think, just gut feeling? Or, I mean, I, I guess if you've heard anything um, with Thompson and with Franklin. Only gut – I've not heard anything. Um, okay. I, I do – you know – Race Thompson, Minnesota is going to be awfully tempting for him. And Minnesota has a new coach, just like IU does. And there's a lot of new energy at Minnesota, and he's from that state. And mm-hmm. you know he might want to he might want to go home. I, I, Armin Franklin doesn't have anywhere to go home unless Butler, because um, that's closer to home. But uh, I think I if I had to bet if I had to bet right now, and I could be wrong on both, but I, I bet Race goes to Minnesota, and I bet Armin Franklin comes back. And and some trifecta for three bets. I bet Michael Lewis is the last assistant. A lot of people seem to think that it was five for Lewis. It was one or the other. And 
it was almost like whichever one says first yes, says yes first. That wasn't the case. Uh, Mike Woodson wants them both. And in, until he hires a third assistant and his name isn't Michael Lewis, if I had to bet money, I'm going to say it's Michael Lewis. But if I'm Fife or Lewis, if I'm taking that job, I, I, I kind of what you wrote about with the succession plan, I, I'm not sure if they were promised any, if Fife was promised anything. But Fife is 41 years old and Woodson is 63. So, you know, human nature says that when Fife takes this job to be his lead assistant, he's got to be thinking to himself, hey, in six years, if Mike decides, hey, you know what, I'm 70, I've done everything that I could do coaching, Indiana's in a good place, I'm going to walk off under the sunset and retire, that I'd be the first guy that Scott Dolson looked at to be promoted. I mean, right? That that has to be his thinking. Um. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. I, I've talked to Dane about this uh, in the last couple of days, and um, and he made it very, very, very clear. I mean, very clear that no one that that they're not talking about that. No promise. Okay. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. No promises. Nothing. So I wrote my, I wrote about it, and I wrote that I think Dane Pipes the next, and it's just too much to get into in print and the nuances and all that. So I kind of just I didn't I, I wasn't gonna quote him anyway. So I didn't even get into it because I don't want people to think that he's the reason he told me he didn't. It's just too much. But I'll say it to you because it's easier, you know, free flowing just to say it out loud. I talked to Dane about it and he said I, that there was no promises made, nothing. All they want is for Woodson to have the best staff possible. All everybody wants is for IU to win, and and they'll just worry about it down the road. Like because I the reason I because I asked Dane, are you are you coming in as associate head coach? Because that was his title at Michigan State, and if you're the associate head coach, it stands to reason that if they want to promote from within, you're the guy. He said they haven't even talked about titles. Like there, there, there's no talk of titles, and I think he what he said, he said something along the lines of I don't care about a title. Let's just go win some games. So I and I believe him. And Dane wasn't like whispering to me off the record. I mean nothing. That we were there. There is no promise, um, and that's the way everybody wants it. But I think, and this is just me talking. I think everybody. I mean, ha, just I mean you. Every, we're all connecting the dots. Woodson won't. You know, six seven years. He's seven. He gets out. If I use rolling. Why wouldn't you promote from within in normal circumstances? But this is IU, and the number one guy is a IU basketball player, damn near legend, you know, for the Final Four in 2002. So it just it's 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 pretty obvious. Five ought to be the next guy, but he didn't come here with that promise, no. Gotcha. I just thought, you know, you'd be thinking deep down, even without a promise, you'd be thinking, hey, it's just so hard, Greg, you know, to to think about 2027 when it's 2021. Like we have no idea how this whole thing is right is going to end up going. Um, but I'm excited for him. I'm excited for him to be back. And I know that, um, you know, it's kind of where it all started for him, not only as a player, but he was briefly an assistant on Davis's staff. So uh, Fife is 41 years old and he has 18 years of college basketball coaching experience, which is insane to think about that you would be that young and have that much experience. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a rising star. And, you know, he, he started at, I, I, when it was called IUPFW or whatever. I mean, IPFW, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was, I mean, it was just rising from Division Two, I think, to Division One. And I remember I went there for CBS to write about it, and literally the, the arena was under construction. It was existing, but it was like, it was, you talk about a total construction job. I mean, it was, it was brutal. Um, and his sixth season was, they were 18 and 12 in his last year. So he didn't run away from a failure. He was building and just decided, I just, you know, this is not not for me. So, 
and he's so charming and such a, you know, charm is the key to the rec recruiting. Really. Can you talk the talk? He can talk it, man. He's good. So th th that's a star to have in your staff. That's an absolute star. And I wasn't crazy about him getting the head coaching job. Um, oh, you know, in this cycle, much like I wasn't crazy about Woodson getting the coaching job or um, Thad Mata when he was, we thought he yeah. was a candidate, not early. If you go through the list and you can't get Stevens and Bennett, blah, 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 then, then you go down the list. Okay. But, but if you're going to hire a guy pretty quick, it better be a star. And I wasn't thinking Woodson was, should have been hired that quick until I spent 30 minutes with him on the phone, Zoom with everybody else. And then I see how everything's coming together for him. And I think they, you know, it doesn't matter what I thought. Uh, I, what's working right now, it looks great right now. So I, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say, I, <laughs> whatever I wrote before, I, doesn't matter what I thought because I, I like what they're doing right now. Can this immediately be, and there's still some personnel decisions to be made. We talked about Franklin and race and then whatever Indiana maybe adds in the transfer portal or recruit wise late, maybe. Um, do you believe that this, this could be a, a situation where they hit the ground running could be a top 25 team next year? To me, if I had to put an over under, like you, you failed or succeeded based on this level, to me, the levels tournament, did you get in the tournament? Yeah. Um, and I don't mean just in the big picture. I mean specifically this team, this roster. That team was that team should have done better than it did last year. You know, they were they were on the bubble, they were on the bubble for most of the year, um, and fell off. But they had one of the ten best players in America, and Armand Franklin will be a pro. Um, they were they were deep. They weren't deep great depth, but they were deep. Anyway, that that team fell. I mean, Archie got fired for a reason. That team was better than than it ended up being. Armand Franklin coming back is enormous. I've never seen Parker Stewart play. Okay, so I'm not saying he, you know, he he's the same as Franklin. I have no idea. I, I'm betting he's not. But he averaged 24 and four, 25 and four. You know, 20 points, five rebounds, four assists. Yeah. At UT Martin, and I, I don't care what level that is. That's that's big time production. So I'm not saying he'll come here and do that, but he's pretty good. Uh, so even if Franklin doesn't come back and race Thompson, the transfer portal has a thousand kids in there. And Mike Woodson has all this energy and enthusiasm and, and wind in his sails. And they're going to add a player or two that can help them immediately. So tournament, absolutely, this team has the ability to get the tournament. And that, to me, that's the over-under. And then we have to see, if Franklin comes back and they add like a 15-point-a-game score from a power conference, then you have to ratchet it up a little bit. But right now, right now, tournament or bust. I saw a preseason ranking from, I don't even remember who it was, Seth Davis maybe. Uh, like way too early preseason top 25 that had Purdue fourth. I've been telling you all year. and You've been beating that drum. <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean, they are, assuming yeah. Jaden Ivey doesn't enter the draft, um, they are loaded, loaded. And they've got, they've got freshmen coming in. I think Lawyer, Spencer Lawyer. L lawyer is one more year, but they oh, have crap. the, Busy, the I want to see that kid. Yeah, they have the Kaufman kid from Silver Creek and oh, then right. the first, first kid from Black Creek. Oh, yeah. geez. Right, yeah. right. I mean, they're – yeah, you've got to say, for, for Purdue, I mean, Final Four bust is such uh, – to me, Purdue, Sweet 16 or bust. To me, Sweet 16 – it's not fair to tell anybody Final Four bust unless you're like, you know, you know Gonzaga and you turn everybody, then, okay, Final Four bust. But, yeah, Purdue's number four, that's, that's legit. Yeah, I mean, I think they're 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 right there, probably for especially with some of the losses that like Illinois and some of these other uh, places in the conference are going to have. They they should be, I would think, the Big Ten title favorite too. Yeah, for sure. And and 
and Butler, um, pretty much almost everybody coming back. And, and we don't, Scooby Johnson was the best freshman they had on paper and didn't ever play and was injured. And then don't know what his situation is personally. Don't know if he wants to come back. Don't know if he's allowed to come. I don't, you know, Scooby's a big mystery, but Butler's got everybody back. And, and what's his name? Chuck Harris. I mean, he was the Chuck Harris who played the first half of the season, which is what I pretty much saw him play. Was was a typical decent little freshman, whatever. He's okay, um, but Miles Tate's the special freshman guard on that team. And then the second half of the season, like, wait a minute, Chuck Harris is a monster, and Miles Tate got hurt, and, and I hope his ACL. You know, we don't know, but I hopefully he's back. You know, ready to go day one. We'll see. But Chuck Harris is going to score if Chuck Harris stays four years, and and he's like Kamar Baldwin. He's a four year looking player. He might score two thousand points. You know, yeah. so that's I like Butler next year. It's a big year for Laval Jordan because, yeah. you know, Butler's a very patient place, but I think what it'll be year four for him. And if um, everyone else, Collier, Licklider, Stevens, uh, Holtman had it rocking and rolling by now, you know what I mean? And, and I think, you know, given the injury situation and everything else, like I'm not saying that Jordan is necessarily quote unquote on the hot seat. But I, I really want to know that he's the guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I haven't I, – I like him. I want him to be the guy, but I'm not 100% convinced that he's the guy. That's very fair way of saying it. I, I think anybody who knows him, any Butler fan, and that's not you and me, but we're fans of – you know, we, we like our programs in the city to do well. We like Laval Jordan. So you want him to be the guy. And, and, and no, I haven't seen enough to say he's not the guy. But, uh, no, I haven't seen enough to say, yeah, he's – if Butler has him for 15 years, they're in great shape. We we haven't quite seen that yet. We haven't seen it. We always get to this portion of the podcast where we're just kind of wrapping up like with the BNC topics. And I never know, Greg, what to even say about the Pacers. Um, Miles Turner left last night's game and they lose and they're down a bunch of guys. But um, to me, at this point, I'm not even rooting for them to make the playoffs. Like I, I think the best thing for the Pacers is just to fall completely out of it. This is a punt year. They're not going anywhere. Uh, get the draft pick, recalibrate for next year. But you, you know what I'm wondering is that this year has been such a disaster. I, I was originally thinking they'd run it back with this core. Do you think that there's an increased chance that they part with somebody, um, especially Sabonis, maybe, or Turner, even though I think Turner's, the, the way that he's played lately, I, he might be too valuable for them to move. I think the only way they, I think they probably want to, keep it as is because they mm. just like last year when David Millen got fired and I think they had like six games with their their starting five or five four or five and they were like four or five and oh with that group but they never played together same thing this year it's, it's even worse you know TJ Warren has never played and other guys keep getting hurt in and out and, and and I hate to I mean you don't use injuries in pro sports as an excuse unless something like this happens when like everybody's hurt or most of the year you have, you're missing not just one guy, but two or three. There's just, I mean, cause you want to be fair when you have a job like yours and mine or Kevin Pritchard and your job is evaluating and judging, you got to be fair. And what's fair is we just, we still don't know. We have no idea. And I know that the Pacers know that unless they have a, a, a prime lottery pick in, in a deep year, they're not going to replace miles Turner's talent on the free agent market. That guy, whoever that guy is not coming here. And same with Sabonis. So unless someone comes up to them and, and just blows them away and overpays for either Turner or Sabonis, makes an offer the Pacers aren't even seeking and gives them like two ones and one of them is a lottery pick. Otherwise, I think the Pacers have to keep rolling the dice and hope they can get some help and see what they, see what they have once and for all. 
it's just a bummer because it really is a great, on paper, it's a great starting five. You've written about it. I mean, Levert, Turner, Sabonis, Warren, Brogdon. That's a really, it's a really good group. The problem is, Greg, is that in today's league, if you don't have a takeover guy, I, I just don't know how you win at an elite level. Like everyone else, even the Trailblazers, you know, the Blazers have, haven't really won anything, you know, certainly not a title or been to the finals. But Lillard is the guy that's going to take the big shot. Oladipo, to an extent, was that guy. But you look at this roster and they, they just so many times the Pacers get in these close games and it's Harden or it's uh, Embiid or it's somebody like that who's making all the plays down the stretch and the Pacers, yeah, it's a nice group, but who, who's that guy for them? Well, we need to see all five of them on the court. True. And whoever that guy is for them will have four studs around him attracting attention also. It's hard to be that guy when, if, let's say you're Miles Turner and you're surrounded by you know Sumner and Aaron Holiday and Jakar Sampson. I mean, it's just when everybody knows it, you're going to be the guy because there's nobody else. I don't know. It's just I, I like I. I'd like to know that Nate Bjorkren, kind of like with Laval Jordan, we don't know yet. We haven't seen enough of Laval to know. And Bjorkren, we haven't seen anything. We, we have we have no idea. There's whispers that the players are disconnected from him a little bit, but I think that happens when you lose in the pros. I don't think it's necessarily a red flag. I just we have no idea. I mean, maybe Pritchard knows stuff behind the scenes, but you and I, we don't know anything. Yeah, I don't blame the players. I, I mean, the players are going to be upset. I hope they're upset. They stink. You know what I mean? They, they, the team stinks. So, of course, I, I, don't, I don't want them to be happy and content with where they're at. If they're upset with the coach and upset with themselves, good. You know, you, you want your team to care. You don't want them to be apathetic. Um, so, you're off next week. And just with the basketball season kind of concluding and all of that, you know, we had talked about the podcast and, you know, sort of moving forward here. And while – We'll still, you know, talk and, and all of that, and, and you'll be included. Um, Doyle and Derek weekly won't be happening from this point on. So we just wanted to make sure that people knew that because if you guys are expecting an, an episode Tuesday or Wednesday, um, that won't be happening. But that doesn't mean that we'll never have a quote-unquote Doyle and Derek edition of the show ever again. Um, Matt and uh, a couple of the other people, a couple of your coworkers at the Star and I are going to talk about um, – you know, me staying active and and potentially maybe doing sort of my own, I don't even know what the hell we would call it, um, sort of my own thing and including some of the other talented stable of star writers. But um, I just wanted to thank you, Greg, because we we literally came up with this. I don't know if you remember in the the stairwell of the media center at the Motor Speedway. I think it was it was either race day or right around the 500. And I kind of stopped you in the stairwell, and I knew that a lot of the star people were starting podcasts. And I said, hey, I don't know if they approached you about starting a podcast, but if they do, do you want to do it together? Because, you know, we're, we're buddies, and I thought that I could kind of be the host and just kind of be the traffic cop, if you will, and have it be basically the Greg Doyle show with just Schultz doing the ins and outs. And it's been a lot of fun for me, man. And, um, and this was my only platform during that non-compete because – Everything else I wasn't allowed to do. I had approval for this. Um, so that, you know, that really meant a lot to me during that six-month uh, hiatus in the forest after I got let go in January of 2020. So it really, really has, has meant a lot to me. And I think it's, you know, obviously I have all the respect in the world for you, not only as a, a writer and a colleague, but as a friend. So um, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I'm, I'm, I've always been envious of, of Jake, and I'm envious now because you make it so easy. <laughs> and uh, – I want Jake to be great here, but if 
if Jake ever wins the lottery and, and buys Tahiti and moves away, it better be Schultz and Doyle or whatever. Like, if you ever need another co-host <laughs> on the radio, I, it better be me. I want to like, – yeah. you make it – you are Stockton, and you make whoever you're with look like Malone. And uh, and I and I'm built like you know I'm like I'm built like Mick Cronin. I'm but you make me look like Cronin. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. And we'll uh, you know don't be a stranger. We'll keep in yeah. touch and and we'll when big stuff breaks and stuff like that. Oh, you know, obvi- uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we'll get you on and and have that voice. Yeah. So stay well, tuned. We'll, uh, we'll be back. Indiestar.com and uh, obviously subscribe. Uh, you know Greg's columns and all that stuff will continue. And uh, this show. Still TBD, but um, we'll have some news on that here pretty soon. Have a great week and a well-deserved week off next week, Greg. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Derek. A big hug for you and your, and your heroic wife. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.